Welcome to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. I'm your host, Tristan, and today I'm joined by parent coach and educational consultant, Jen Dreyer, to discuss coaching parents to see beyond their children's behavior. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hi. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. We're happy to have you here. So let's start with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So my name is Jen Dreyer. I am a parent coach for parents of neurodivergent kids. Um, And I'm also an educational, uh, sort of head tell parents navigate educational challenges with their kids as well. Um, Education consultant. And I help parents via a program that I co-run with uh, Gabrielle Nicolet. We run a program called Raising Orchid Kids, which is um, an Sort of, we provide mainly online support for parents, and we run coaching classes, practical strategies classes, and webinars. And we have an ongoing membership with support groups um, and resources and all kinds of good stuff like that. For we have like a sort of forum, we have a Facebook group, um, and we support parents of neurodivergent kids. Most of the parents, most of the kids who's the parents that we support, they are mostly have kids that are aged um, two to. 13, but we have lots of other ranges. And we are also working on now developing a support group for parents of neurodivergent teens um, to kind of shift into that space. Um, I came to this work because I have a neurodivergent child myself, kind of too. My older son is like, so we call them orchid kids because it comes from this book called The Orchid and the Dandelion by um, Thomas Boyce. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that some kids are like dandelions, like that you just need a little bit of food and water and sunshine. And, you know, it's sort of like they just sort of do, they grow naturally, they develop, they're good. Right. Um, I mean, it's not quite that simple, but, you know, but sort of right. they're easy. Kids who are easier, right, are dandelions. And, you know, there are lots of, there are other kids who are like orchids who require very specific supports and environment and you know, all the stuff in order, but they can be given those supports and environment. Right. And all that can be very beautiful flowers that blossom. Right. And so um, we joke that I joke that my older son is like a tulip. He's like somewhere in between <laughs> the, the dandelion and the, and the orchid. He's, um, he has, you know, mild, mild ADHD. Uh, right. It's not really, it doesn't impede him. He's at a school that's a really small and supportive school. So he, he's not really getting in the way so far. So he's fine. But my younger son, uh, who's 11, is um, autistic, has ADHD, OCD, a couple other things. Um, and we figured it out really early with him um, because he had an older son to get, have an older brother to compare him to. And, right. um, and that really helped. Like his, he was kind of like the poster child for early intervention. I mean, he went wow. from 50% behind in speech uh, to 10% behind in one year. Oh my God. Because we started, yeah, we started him at 17 months and it was like incredible. And so I was just like on this, I went on the soapbox and I want, I really wanted to proselytize to everyone because, you know, because the brain is so plastic right. um, and malleable before, you know, when they're very young. I mean, I remember this stat that just shocked me that 80% of the brain is formed, like the synapses are formed by age three and then 90% by age five. Like this is on the, the government, one of the education websites. Right. Um, this is, you know, this is sort of a widely known fact. Um, well, not that widely known, but like, you know, a, a right. well-established fact. Um, and, you know, it's not that we're not, we're obviously, you know, by age five, it's not like, oh, that's, we're done learning. You know, <laughs> right, no, right. we've got a lot more to learn. But like, you know, you can think about how much you've learned by age, up to age five. It's, you right. know, so much of language. It's um, kind of understanding the ways the world work. But it's, it's really just the synapses that are forming in the brain. Um, wow. So that if you can get, you know, support the kids earlier, they can shift the synapses and shift the routing in the brain so that, you know, language becomes more accessible, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so anyway, I got off track a little bit, but that was <laughs> sort of what, what, what brought me to this work because I really wanted to like, once I started realizing how powerful early intervention was, I wanted right. to sort of talk to parents about early intervention and getting them supported. And then as you know, and so I started doing that work a little bit and then um, realized I really wanted to find a partner and I, and I had taken a class with, um, that came through, you know, Max was part of my younger son. He was part of, um, DC's strong start program and, um, just an early intervention program. So when Max was part of strong start, 
he, uh, we, I participated as a parent in a program called Hannon um, that was actually completely funded by, um, by early stages. And it was amazing. No, sorry, strong start. It was incredible. It's a really wonderful program that supports uh, parents of you know, kids with either speech delays, there's a program for speech delayed kids and a program for autistic kids, but also had speech, you know, speech right. delays as well, which is really common for autistic kids. Yeah. Um, and that program really changed things for me. But right. so I was just total game changer for Max. And then I also took some classes for my older son at PEP, Parent Encouragement Program, which is um, geared towards neurotypical kids more. Um, right. But uh and those were game changers for me for my relationship with my older son. And right. I was like, God, I need to figure out how to marry those two things, those yeah. two, like sort of the two things to support, like give the pep support to the parents, you know, of neurodivergent kids who need that extra support. And so I met Gabrielle through a mutual, um, mutual parent coach friend, actually, yeah. Megan Leahy. She, she connected us like, I think you guys are going to hit it off. Um, and we did. And it was great because sort of immediately we realized, you know, we had a lot of the same understandings and a lot right. of the same goals and that we really loved helping people um, and that that we wanted to create this like pet meets Hannon <laughs> um, right. entity and, and class for parents. And I was seeing a lot you know, at that point. My son was a little older. He was in already in elementary school. Um, and I was noticing, you know, something he was in a special needs school at that time. And right. I noticed that, you know, a lot of the parents who were, you know, they're struggling with, yeah. you know, sort of managing behavior at home and, um, and all that. And so, um, Gabrielle and I came together and we created, a online first actually actually created a class that started in person on March 1st, 2020, oh my which gosh. didn't, yeah, we had two sessions in person and then we were like, oh, oh, I think we're going to have to pivot and oh, yeah. now we're online. And, you know, we sort of did that, but, you know, the wonderful thing is that now it's, it's been great because we can actually have families come from all over. I mean, we've had families come from across the country, all different parts of the country. Even we had in one of our groups, we had two families from Bali. So we had our meeting at 8.30 PM and they were arriving at 8.30 AM um, with the time change. We've had, we've had families from London. We've had families in Ghana. I mean, with someone from Colombia. So you know, different, which is great to be able to offer that, um, to other people. And, you know, I think at this point we've sort of gotten enough used to finding that community in zoom. It's certainly not the same, but it also, you know, no one has to pay for a babysitter, (laughs) you know, it makes it, it makes it more accessible in many ways. Yeah. Um, so we started teaching classes, um, the current iteration of our class, it's all been practical strategies classes and sort of, as we've learned over the years, kind of, we've seen what's helped parents the most and also what is current in neuroscience What is neuroscience telling us about the neurodivergent kids' brains and how to best support them. And so we really try to stay current on what's out there um, and and use what we're learning in, you know, in what we're teaching parents. So, um, so that's how we've come. And we've just, so we shifted from, we started with just a practice class that uh, started at six weeks, a different kind of changed around. Now it's an eight week class, just one hour a week. Um, We run them three to four times a year. And, um, and then we offer to people who come through those classes, we offer um, membership an ongoing membership. So okay. we have them offer it after so that everyone has sort of a shared language and shared understanding of, right. um, of their kids' behavior, the behavior in general. And, um, and then we also offer webinars and, um, and we have a ton of resources on our website. We just opened yeah. a forum for our members so that they can post questions and people can answer sort of in more in real time rather than waiting right. for the the Q and the meeting, the support group meeting. So Gabrielle and I really love this work. It's incredibly powerful. Um, it's, it's wonderful for me as a parent who has a neurodivergent kid because right. I find community. I mean, I think 50% of the, ba- the value of what we offer is, is just giving people a space to connect with other parents yeah. who are navigating similar journeys or relatable journeys um, because it's very lonely. Right. It can feel totally overwhelming. Um, and, you know, and you have your friends who all have kids or, or you know, or if your child's in a, in a, um, you know, in a, not in a special needs school setting that, right. you know, the parents that you're meeting are talking about this and that and the things that their kids doing. And it, it, it feels a little bit off putting, you know, right. for <laughs> euphemistically speaking, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it feels bad. Like you feel, 
like, you know, down about it. And so it's nice to have a place where, um, other people can, you know, connect with the challenges. And we, we really focus a lot on trying to lift people up and share the wins and yeah. shift the focus from what feels like it's wrong to what's right. going right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And if, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, I don't know if you've listened before, or even if you're just joining us, Gabrielle Nicolay has been on the episode uh, or on the podcast before um, talking about raising orchid kids. So feel free to check out those episodes too. We're very excited to have Jen here. I can't believe it took us this long to get you on here. I'm so (laughs) sorry, Um, but we're so excited you're here to talk about the behavior side and um, more of the parent coaching and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell people where to find you guys if they were looking for you online? Sure. So we're at www.raisingorchidkids, all one word, raisingorchidkids.com. Perfect. And okay. yeah, we also have a Facebook group, Raising Orchid Kids. Um, so we're, you know, and that's free and easy and a, a great place to start um, if you're curious about what we do. Um, people have been, you know, we, we share wins every week. We share, you know, resources and questions. And, um, we have a new element on there. We call it spin it to win it. So, um, which I came up with, I was like, you know, it's all about the spin, you know, yeah. like you can share an event, um, and, and think about like, how can I change my perception of this event that happened? Um, where can I find the win in there? So we try to help people kind of find the wins. And then what happens is that once you start seeing the wins, you notice them more and then the wins start happening more. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Laws of attraction, I guess. (laughs) Right. Kind of like a domino, like a, like a vicious cycle, but in a good way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. A good, non-vicious, happy cycle. Yeah. (laughs) Happy, great cycle. Well, I love that. So I'll pop the um, website in the show notes so people can find you guys. um, And hopefully get on the Facebook page and join you in sharing their wonderful events. Mm -hmm. Spin it to win it. Exactly. (laughs) So let's hop into our questions of the day. So we're talking about parent coaching and maybe a good first question would be why would someone need parent coaching? Um, Well, I can say, talk about it kind of generally speaking, parent coaching kind of in general, and then specific to to raising a neurodivergent child parent coaching. So, you know, I think in general, and, and I also, you know, the other thing that I do that I forgot to mention is that I also work at PEP now. Um, oh, you do? Parent okay. encouragement program. Yeah. So I, um, I I teach their their classes. I'm sort of their neurodivergence point person. Okay. Um, and so I teach classes there, you know, kind of more geared towards, like I'll teach webinars, um, more geared towards neurodivergent kids um, or raising neurodivergent kids. So I think kind of based on what we're seeing, what I see at PAP in general, you know, is that a parent, you know, it can be overwhelming, right? Yeah. Like it's not, there's really no, there's a million handbooks on how do you, how do you raise a kid, right? <laughs> right. But like, right. who do you know? How do you want to know which one to use? And yeah. there's lots of competing theories and, um, and half the competing theories like don't actually relate to the child who's actually in front of me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that a parent that feels overwhelmed in any way shape or form right. or is unsure in of something in any okay. way shape or form um that coaching can be very beneficial right like find someone who who can help give you some answers to your questions who understands psychology who understands brain development who understands sort of what's it, a who's kind of going through or gone through it as well you know who might be ahead of where you are right. um in the curve uh, you know, can be incredibly helpful. So, you know, it's also just a space to, to, to talk through issues, right? And so sometimes that idea that I used to be a literacy coach in New York City Public Schools, the idea oh, that, wow. you know, we used to always, we used to always teach that, that talking is thinking, mm. right? In in many ways. And so when you can talk something out, you can actually unearth some things right. um, that are going on for you. So, um, so I think that is a big piece of why a parent needs coaching and then thinking about specifically and that's sort of general parenting right and then specific to neuro- raising neurodivergent kids what gets doubly overwhelming is you know sort of the competing like you should have this therapy and that therapy mm-hmm. and I, you know and, mm-hmm. and sort of the it becomes overwhelming in just a totally different way because then it becomes 
there's a sense of overwhelm of, of, you know, how much do I need to, how much input do I need to do? What's too much? What's not right. enough? Like, where am I? Um, you know, and, and we talk a lot about sort of that need for people. And I, you know, experience this myself, but like, who can help me quarterback this? Like yeah. as a, you know, not to use sports analogies all the time because, <laughs> but I'm not really a, you know, like a football fan so much, but, but that's that idea of like, who is the one who can help guide me in all the directions, right? right. Like, what do I need as a parent? What does my kid need? You know, what's going to help in his or her specific or their specific situation right right and it's different for every child and so that's where i think um it can get totally overwhelming specifically for for parents of neurodivergent kids yeah. and then you know layer on then having to navigate school and all the challenges at school that are specific to neurodivergent kids um you know and, and you know sort of the need is is great yeah so it sounds like anyone who notices like something that's happening with their kid that needs advice that they can't necessarily just like seek out from another parent. Um, mm -hmm. Someone who might have like a kiddo with a neurodivergence or um, even just a kid who's like having a hard time through school. So once you've identified like, I need a parent coach, I'm going to go find one. <laughs> and they mm -hmm. get that first session. What is it? What does the parent coaching even look like? The other piece too, just, I'm going to come back to oh, yeah. one thing that I want to add into that too, is that like, when you feel like this feels so hard, yeah, like I'm feeling it's just hard. Why is this so hard? Like right. if you are asking yourself that question, why is this so hard? Like a stop looking at people's social media feeds because oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's much harder than they're making it appear. Right. Um, but anyway, it, you know, I mean, especially when you're raising a neurotyp neurodivergent kid, like neurotypical kids the development is generally relatively easy, right? Like there's mm -hmm. no, like the, things evolve in the way that they're sort of supposed to evolve in terms right. of like looking at the milestones and, and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, raising kids are hard in general, right? It's a, it's like the hardest job out there. Um, and when you have a child who needs a lot of extra support, then it's that yeah. much harder. And, and so if at any point you just feels like, oh my gosh, why is this so hard? That's the time to, I would say, you know, that's a good indicator that some support would be helpful. Right. Would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, sorry. So your next question was, was what does it look like? Or, yeah. So what does the yeah. parent coaching even look like? Um, so it could look like lots of different things. I mean, the way that, that Gabrielle and I help parents or we do, you know, it depends on what a parent w would benefit from most. Right. And sometimes it's a few different things. Um, so we do one-to-one -one coaching, right? If a parent, well, eight, like, you know, we run classes four times a year, three times a year. So if there's not a class and you need the support kind of right now, so if there's something that's, you know, sort of time bound and you're feeling totally overwhelmed right now and you need the support sooner rather than later, um, a one-to-one -one coaching, you know, some parents also feel a little, I don't know, they just are reluctant to join a group for whatever right. reason. Yeah. Um, so one-to-one -one coaching is a really great option there too. You know, of course, one-to-one -one coaching costs more money. Right. So, um, so, you know, we have for our class, we, we have a sliding scale because we are very much um, about, you know, th that we want to help people, you yeah. know, and, and we, we want people to, we've found, we've donated classes before and then half oh. the people that got the free classes didn't show up. So we were like, okay, I think people just need a little bit of skin in the game, you know? Right. So we asked people to pay, you know, we have like $50 increments from 50 up to 450, like, yeah. that, you know, you could pay for a class. Um, so, you know, so we're very cognizant of, of, of that, of, you know, right. making sure that we make it accessible for people. Absolutely. Um, and so I think, anyway, so one-to-one -one coaching is, is an option for people that, you know, and there are sliding scales available there too, not quite right. in the same, you know, the same range. Um, or we have this class. So class, there's also group coaching in different ways. You know, some, um, we run a practical strategies class that meets for eight times. One thing that we really like about shifting it from six to eight eight weeks is that, you know, you have more time, there's more right. time to build community. And if someone misses a class, it feels less, you know, right. overwhelming, less like, oh my gosh, yeah. I missed so much. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we also, I mean, we record all the classes and post them so people can watch okay. them, but still just like being there is part of it. I think, you know, right. you get more when you're actually there than, than just watching the recordings. Right. 
Um, so I think, you know, it can look like sort of a, an ongoing class. It could look like um, a support group of some sort. It could right. look like one-to-one coaching. You know, support groups are, are less specific. I mean, one of the things that, you know, the one-to-one coaching is obviously going to be the most focused on, right. you know, the exact issues that that you're facing as the parent and your child is managing. Um, and in our, in our, but our groups are always small. So the thing okay. that we like to do is to keep them, you know, like 12 to 14 at the most, not wow. more than yeah. 14. Um, and so we give parents a lot of individualized support, you know, right. and they, we, you know, help them brainstorm ideas to, you know, navigate some stuff that they're going through, yeah. um, and to help them problem solve and to also kind of teach them how to problem solve right. so that, you know, they're not always needing to come to us. Right. So if someone were in like a one-on-one session with you, do you have kind of like a way that you go about the session? Like, do you have like a structure to it or is it just like they come in and they say, I'm freaked out about this. And you like just Mm -hmm. chat about it the whole time. Like, what does it look like? Well, you know, so I have like a very, my, my brain wants to go right to problem solving. Like I want to help and I want to give them something practical that they can come away with. I also like want to give them a theoretical framework for everything Mm -hmm. so um so i always start with like okay what's the problem and usually ahead of time you know before we even get to the meeting i have them answer some questions like some basic questions right what's going on so i know what i'm coming into and what resources might be helpful for me to bring um so i'll you know sort of start with okay what are you noticing what are you seeing um and we always coach parents to you know the 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 goal is to become a detective right Mm -hmm. so get curious because mm-hmm. I think as parents, we spend a lot of time trying to fix behaviors right. without really digging into the why, what's underneath the behavior. So right. um, there's lots of images and we have on ourselves of like a behavior iceberg, right? Like what's happening? We see the behavior at the top of the iceberg, but there's so much going on underneath it. Right. Um, and if we, you know, we have a couple of like touchstone folks who we just like are our North Stars, you know, so we start always with Ross Green, yeah. you know, and the explosive child and, you know, that that whole idea that kids do well when they can. Right. Right. So if your child is not doing well, your child needs more skills, right? They are mm-hmm. lacking the skills and or the support to do better, right? It could be like something going on in their world in the sensory you know, there's something going on with their, their sensory system that, you know, they need headphones, they need something, they need some right. kind of, um, kind of concrete support to help navigate what's happening for them and what's driving kind of challenging behaviors for them. Right. Um, so, you know, so I think that we always start there with parents, right? Like, you know, kids are not, no one's doing this to you, right? right. They're having like, kids aren't giving you art to the other one. Like I, we have, we have these things, we joke that we have the tattoo on their arms um so like some like arm tattoos like oh yeah that's right like just look down check it out like all oh, right all right <sighs> so one of them one of them is the kids do well in the can um right. right the second one is your child is not giving you a hard time he or she is having a hard time right and so just that like there's so much little nuanced shifts in language that can yeah. entirely change our understanding of a situation yeah um So that's a big one. You know, the other one that I like to tell parents, the other tattoo (laughs) um, (laughs) that I think is important is, um, you know, I I got this from a, 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 I'm also a yoga teacher and I went to a, um, I went and it keeps me grounded and, you know, helps me navigate lots of stuff. Um, Well, I went to a retreat years ago. Max was, my son was very young. My autistic son was like four. Um, And this the woman who ran the retreat was a Zen Buddhist um, priest and mom, oh, and yeah, who <laughs> knew right? Um, and she had written a book called Mama Zen, and anyway, so she's she's cool. Her name is Karen Mason Miller, um, and we had these private sessions with her, like you know, okay. like short, fifteen minutes, you know, right. where you got to actually talk to her and share some, ask some questions, and and so I told her that I've sort of stressed out all the time having an autistic child who right. you know I just I'm always worried about his future like I'm always anticipating yeah. like what is in like is he going to be living with us when he's 40 like what you know um and she said which was just so powerful to me she said you know I don't know what it's like to have an autistic child I will tell you to just take care of what's in front of you and try yeah. to do that without judgment and without too much assessment um, what's there. Um, and 
it was like that beautifully Buddhist thing where it's so simple and so profound all at the same time. I was like, oh, take care of what's in front of you. So that is like in my mental, I'm like tattooed that inside my, like underneath (laughs) my eyeballs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On my eyelids. Um, so that I can remember that. Um, because I come back to that all the time. But the funny thing was that literally I came home from that, um, that retreat. And like four days later, my older son came home from kindergarten with, um, with lice. Oh (laughs) my God. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to just take care of what's in front front of me right now. I'm putting it into play. I was like, okay, going to go to Rite Aid, going to buy the, you know, buy the stuff, did the shampoo, did the combing. And my husband came home and he was like, oh my God, that's so gross. It's lice. And I was like, that's your choice to think it's gross. Like, I'm just taking care of it. Like, you know, we did it every day. I just did the combing, you know, like it was, you know, and I had to comb my own hair. I have a lot of hair. Oh, (laughs) Um, God. So, you know, but it was really helpful to like not bemoan your fate. Because that's not helpful, right? To like make it go better, certainly. And usually it makes it go worse. And so I think that was an amazing one that I I try to do all the time. Like, what do we need to do right now to take care of this? Right. Um, and not get too ahead of ourselves. You know, I think as parents of neurodivergent and neurotypical kids, you know, I think that parents get stuck in that loop that, you know, oh my God, if I do this now, that means like, you know, when they're 20, they're like never going to be able to do X or Y or right. Z, right? Yeah. If, if, you know, they're freaking out about something and like, I'm calming them down, like they're never going to learn how to do this themselves. And actually, you know, the, actually the opposite is true. Yeah. It's what we've learned from neuro, you know, neuroscience, right? That co-regulation, which is, you know, another big piece of what we coach parents to do, learn how to lend your child your calm. Mm -hmm. Um, because that is what teaches them how to find their calm, right. right? And how to do it on their own. So they need to do it. You know, it's just like a baby has to learn. You have to spoon feed them until they can learn how to do it themselves. Right. Right. But if you just like gave them a spoon and be like, Go ahead, bud. <laughs> like, that's not going to work very well, right? Absolutely like, not. there will be like baby rice all over the house. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so I think um, that's you know those those pieces are I think what what is really important to us and really important to to the message that we want to you know bring to parents. Right. Yeah. And I think it's it, it takes a long time, and I, I think that's the other piece too is that to 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 do that really regularly right. is hard. Right. Um, and so that's. You know, and then I think, you know, there's specific situations that lots of parents come with that we can say, oh, why don't you, you know, here are some ideas for X or Y or Z. Right. Um, and then the other, you know, main thing that that is, is so important is is just doing whatever you need to do to kind of stay calm yeah. in the moment. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that we talk a lot about, and this is just kind of behavior in general, human behavior, is that you know, our prefrontal cortex is that part of our brain that keeps us together. You know, it keeps us from like losing every, like from just yelling all the time. Um, (laughs) And it it wraps around, you know, and like Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel, you know, there's lots of books about this stuff, um, Beyond Discipline and The Whole Brain Child and um, all this stuff. But the idea that, you know, your upstairs and downstairs brain, right? So your downstairs brain is the part underneath your um, prefrontal cortex and that's your amygdala, which is the fight, flight, there's lots of Fs now, fight, flight, freeze, they've added fib into there. So if your kid lies all the time, this is just a like, like prefrontal cortex is offline. They're in self-protective mode right now. Oh, wow. And fawn, fawn, like you're just kind of like doing what everyone else does, right? So um, anyway, so so that is where all that lives, right? And so your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed in neurotypical brains until age 25. So, yeah. So, which is why, you know, it's really expensive for, for car insurance until you turn 25. Um, and so for neurodivergent brains, it's later than that even. Right. So I think we're like often trying to insist on kids doing things that their prefrontal cortexes are just not yet prepared to to do. do. Right. Yeah. They're just not able, um, and so I think what happens is when our prefrontal cortexes go offline, when we lose, you know, when they flip their lids, right? Because if if your prefrontal cortex is like wrapped around that amygdala, like you can imagine yeah. it flipping, right? And yeah. now you're just fully in your reptilian brain, right? Like right. I feel like I'm being attacked by a lion. Um, and what happens, you know, even if it's just that I offered you a blue cup instead of the red cup, and like all of a sudden 
this feels like I'm being attacked by a lion. It's not right. logical to us, but it, it, this is what is happening in the brain. Right. So, right, this isn't about logic, right? This is about, you know, kids are not, they're not logical yet, right? right? When the red cup is making them crazy. Right. Um, so um, the one thing that happens often is this is mirror neurons, right? So when our kids are, are, are really angry and right. having a big meltdown, it often triggers us, right? right. So it kind of makes us this, it's a natural reaction. And this is, you know, biologically <laughs> true for, you know, all of us. And this is developed because, you know, if someone around you is freaking out because there's a lion, like you got to freak out too. So it's like, right. okay, we're all doing this together. Right. Um, it's a, you know, it's a self-protective instinct. But since with our fully developed prefrontal cortexes, you know, we're the ones that need to bring our brains back right. online to stay calm. And our kids will slowly begin to mirror our energy. Right. And so if we can stay calm, it helps that meltdown. It's always faster. I mean, you don't stop the meltdown. You can't control a kid's behavior. That's right. like parents need to know that. Like number one, like yeah. that was the one thing kids can do. That's the other thing, a tattoo on your arm. Cannot control my child's behavior. <laughs> I can control what happens a little bit where I can, can do a little bit beforehand and I can do some stuff after, but like in the middle, you know, I can just be there and stay calm and that's right. as close as I can get. Yeah. So I think, you know, those are some of the things that we try to help parents understand and yeah. see. Yeah. So it sounds like with the parent coaching groups, you've got about like six to eight weeks, or you just said you switched eight over weeks. to eight weeks now mm -hmm. that you work on that. So if someone comes to you for like individual one-on-one um, -on -one sessions, do you normally see that they come sit with you through a whole process of like, I'm freaking out. My kid is doing X, Y, Z, and I'm trying to figure out that behavior. Do they come have you hold their hand through the whole thing or do they stay there for just a short period and try to figure it out on their own or are they there for ever and ever and ever? They just decide to stay with you for always. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's a great question because it looks really different for different parents, right. you know, and it's it sort of, it's goal or it depends on the parent's goal. And it actually really depends on sort of a parent's level of, of confidence also, you know, yeah. like some parents really benefit from lots and lots of ongoing support. Right. Right. Um, and some parents say like, I just need help with like this one issue right now. And right. I just need three sessions to get through it. Or I need one session to get through it. Right. So I think that can look really different. Um, you know, I think for one-to-one -one coaching over like, you know, sort of forever and ever and ever that, right. that it's very expensive for parents. Oh, um, yeah. And so at that point I would, you know, we would probably coach them to move into our, our membership or our support group. Right. And, and sometimes we're kind of trying to develop a way to, we haven't fully developed it yet, but the way to, you know, if parents don't want to come through the class and they instead would like to do kind of learn all the stuff that we teach in the curriculum in a more one-to-one -one right. setup, you know, we're hundred percent able to, to deliver that in a you know quicker version. You don't need eight hours. We'll probably need like two hours to kind of, cause right. we don't have all the discussion pieces that we have. Um, and, um, and then, you know, and then work through, you know, some of that after that, then they could transition into the membership if they, you know, if they right. wanted to. And that's where you can come and bring questions and we have a forum or, you know, just an online, um, you know, we have the Facebook group too, but we also right. have just a more private, private online forum for members where you can just say, Hey, I have a question about this and, and then, yeah. you know, other members or Gabrielle and I can, can come on, you know, and, um, and answer. Yeah. And do you find that like, when a parent comes and kind of figures out one goal that it helps them relate it to the rest of their other like problems that they need to solve. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the goal that we have with the goal setting is basically that, you know, when they figure out how to solve one of those problems, you know, that's a stepping stone to now solve another problem. Right. And so, so what worked for you there? So that's the thing that we always ask parents, you know, when you say your win, what happened, what went well this week and what did you do to help that win happen? Right. right? What was, you know, what role did you play and, um, and then get them to see that. Right. And then, okay, what's something else you want to tackle now, right? Yeah. I mean, usually within that eight-week chunk of time, we usually get to like one goal, really, right? Because, you know, we're spending some time teaching and 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 that that sort of, and those goals we often tell parents, start with low-hanging fruit, right. right? Start with things that feel achievable because then you'll be motivated. Like, don't start right. with like the biggest, the biggest, most challenging thing. Right. But yeah, but usually it helps, it helps. Yeah. With other things. Right. It helps with all the other things. So once you've got a parent in 
to the clinic and near or you know into the coaching however however they're coming to see you um how do you help them then see past that behavior that is being displayed because you were mentioning earlier like the behavior is more rooted in something else it's not just i like to throw fits mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's something Correct. happening right. so how do you help the parents realize like you're not just flailing on the floor because you want to be doing that yeah. And so we bring in a lot of those, the, you know, the, the authors and psychologists and, you know, yeah. the neurologists that, so, so we use that brain, that, that neurology brain science framework to help explain to them kind of what, what's happening. And then we coach them into becoming the detective. And so we give them like, you know, like we, we have all these worksheets if they want worksheets, like they don't have to use, <laughs> you know, we give, we offer kind of worksheets just for some parents, that like jotting stuff down helps them, you know, pushes right. them to see things, right? For other parents that doesn't work for them, fine, all good, you know, whatever right. it is. But the idea being that pay attention. So we do this thing like between week two and week three of our course where we say, your job right now is like, now you're a detective. And like, mm-hmm. when your child starts to unravel and become, you know, dysregulated, right. notice what happened. What do you think happened? What's going on? And then, you know, what we are really trying to push parents to notice and see is that most challenges that arise for kids are actually predictable challenges. Um, They seem unpredictable often, but they're often not. I mean, yeah, like I can't control like a fire truck coming down my street with a very loud sound, but I can predict that my child is, has sensory sensitivities, right? right? And so really loud sounds is going to dysregulate my child. As soon as I hear that, I'm going to, you know, Hey, let's grab your headphones really fast. You know, let's do something that, that we can or if it's too late, like, what do we do to like help you, you know, get back to calm right. again? One of the things that we very much push parents to do is to think, you know, once we can start to notice and identify those things that are triggering for our kids that, you know, what can you do in advance before ah. those things happen? Right. So we call ask, it an yeah. antecedent interventions, right? And that's like, you know, behaviorist language, antecedent thing, but it's, it's, it's this idea of what happened before. Right. right. And this could be something that happened right before, or it could be the fact that your child just didn't sleep well that night. Right. Right. And if, if sleep is off, if they didn't eat well, they hated the, something happened, you know, they didn't eat enough. They, they're hungry. Um, you know, there's something going on. Then we know there's other, you know, there's other right. factors at play. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we teach parents, you know, into also this, this idea of interoception and neuroception and interoception is kind of just understanding what's happening within your own body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times kids are tired, but they don't really know that they're tired and that's right. why they're acting this way. Right. And so, um, and so helping them there, like, okay, you know, kiddos didn't sleep less very much today. Like last right. night, you know, sleep was off. We're going to give them grace today. We're going to let, you know, keep the demands minimal today. Right. right? Knowing that it's going to be harder, right? They're going to be more reactive because their brains are just a little bit, you know, kind of walking around half upregulated right. because they're not, they're tired. I mean, we all know, right? I mean, I think, you oh, know, yeah. I, yeah, like how cranky we are. <laughs> we don't sleep well exactly. and, or there's no coffee available, you know? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I think, um, and neuroception is this idea of, and this, you know, Mona Delahook, who's another one of our North Stars, um, who's she's wonderful. Her book, um, Beyond Behaviors and Brain Body Parenting, are both fantastic resources um, for understanding the neuroscience of what's happening in, in neurodivergent brains um, and what and about what is driving behavior. And that she really focuses so much on the on the physiological drivers of behavior that we often think kids are deciding to do this thing or they're, you know, but it's actually, a, you know, it's a, it's a reaction to something happen, happening physically in their bodies. Right. right. And so neuroception is the feeling of, um, it's like how, how you feel safe and unsafe and, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of system that flags safety for right. us and danger, right? right? Really flags danger. It doesn't flag safety. Safety is just like good. <laughs> Safety's good. Right? But, Safety's but, great. Yeah. Right. So our neuroceptive system kind of flag when something feels dangerous, right? Now right. many of many orchid kids, neurodivergent kids, have kind of somewhat faulty neuroceptive systems, right? Yeah. Like they 
feel danger in places that is not dangerous. Like right. the blue cup is actually not dangerous. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's right. just a different color, but that feels dangerous to them. Yeah. Right. It feels unsafe. So, so many of our kids, like I see this in my own son all the time, you know, things that make him feel really worried. I'm like, oh, don't worry. And I was like, mm. you know, like, oh, right. You know, I'm going to stop saying, don't worry about this. And I'm going to say, oh, I see that makes you feel really worried. Mm. You know, I notice that you feel worried about that. Um, and then I'm seeing them and I'm, you know, validating is another key thing we would tell parents to do, right. you know, just, if you can start with validation rather than correction, right. Yeah. So that this is another pepism. So that comes from pep, this idea of connection before correction. Ooh. Um, and so how do we connect first right. and then correct after, right. And so connecting by validating someone, right. You know, you can connect, um, and, you know, doing something that's just going to feel soothing and calming to them right. is, is going to be the thing that will help reduce the stress response. Yeah. I was, I'm so glad you mentioned the like stuff you can do beforehand. Cause I was just about to ask, like, do you set your kid up? Like once you've noticed, like you said, like the blue cup versus the red cup, like once you've noticed that, um, or like other things that are happening and you're going to send your kid off to school, right? Like, by validating and showing your kid that you, you understand what is setting them off, are you then able to equip them with their own tools when they go into a setting where you're not there to be able to validate and help calm and um, get them through that moment? Are you able to give them something that's like, hey, you know, sometimes the noise is really loud. So I'm going to give you your headphones. Mm -hmm. And when you notice mm -hmm. a loud noise, go ahead and put them on or stuff like that. Like, are you able to provide those things? Well, so ideally we give parents, here's what you should be, you know, here's some suggestions for right. how to work with the school. Right. And, and, you know, there's obviously so much less control when they're in that different environment. So, right. um, and, but, but the goal is to inform the teacher and really the, the, the larger goal and our broader goal is always to teach kids how to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Right. And so that, that kind of self-advocacy is, that's the, that's the gold standard. That's like, you know, the, the lofty goal on high that we right. have for our kids, right? <laughs> that I can say like, oh, hey, uh, sounds like we're going to have a, you know, I, I think we're going to have a fire drill. Like when there's a fire drill, can you let me know so I can get my headphones beforehand mm -hmm. or I can find a safe space that feels, you know, so that they know what to do for themselves. Right. Um, or like, I know that going to recess feels really overwhelming to me. And sometimes kids are not very kind to me. So can I do something different? You know, right. so that there's this, this idea that they understand, you know, this, this metacognition, right? Understanding how your own brain works right. um, is really important. And then giving them strategies to use, right? So they have like a tool belt of strategies. Now it takes a long time. And when kids are go into full meltdown mode, they are not able to access the strategies, right? They're out of their thinking brain at that point, right? You're right. in your just reptilian brain. And so I think what happens is sometimes as parents, and as teachers, I think as well, you know, it's, it's hard to remember that kids can't access those then. And we get kind of annoyed right. that, like, that they can't, but they just can't. Right. And right. I think if we can just so much of it is, I think, knowing this, and then you're like, okay, we're going to, we're having a meltdown now. Right. Just going to ride this out. We're in public. Right. Okay. You know, the other, the other thing that we always, that I always um, say, it's another one I got from Pep is that we do our worst parenting when we're parenting for other people. Um, you know, wow. when we're worrying about like all those people, what everyone else is thinking about our kid right now, like right. our job is to take care of our kid. Right. And what my kid needs right now is for me to just stay here next to you while you're screaming. Right. Right. So you're safe. You need to scream. You need to get through it. I'm calm. Like we had one of our parents who just, we, we sort of taught some ways to, some strategies for parents themselves yeah. to stay calm in those tough moments. We all need those strategies, right? Yeah. You know, um, and, and so one of the things is just rubbing your hands up and down, um, kind of rubbing your palms together, like tip to like fingertip to palm. I'm trying to yeah. explain this because I can't show the <laughs> visual no one can here. See you, right? but, um, yeah, no one can see me here, but, but it's like your palms are together, like in prayer pose. And then you're sliding your fingers down to the heel of your hand and then sliding them the other way. And that's just really calming for the nervous system. Right. Like you can feel it immediately. Um, there's lots of other things like that, deep breathing, you know, whatever, all kinds of stuff like that. And so we have this one parent who her daughter was just lost lost it in um in target you okay. know and she was yelling in target and just having her meltdown and the mom just said 
okay, it's okay. I'm here. And she just did this with her, her hands. She was rubbing yeah. her hands up and down and she was joking that people were looking at her like she was completely, you know, like, <laughs> like, I don't know what, but she said, you know, and that meltdown only lasted like three minutes and it usually lasts like 15. So that was great. Like, I'm really pleased that I did that. But so, you know, so I think when we can start worrying less about other people um, and, you know, taking care of the the child that's in front of us is is always, is always a really important one um, to keep in mind. So what do you normally recommend? So the keeping calm in the midst of a meltdown and would you recommend saying like, no things just being like, I I'm here when you need me like that kind of a thing. Or is there other, I think it depends. It totally depends. And then this is where, again, you have to be the, you know, parents have to be the detective. Like what? And, and, you know, depending on the age of your child, right. Mm -hmm. For three-year-old, your child's not going to be able to like articulate very much. Um, But for, you know, like an eight or nine or 10 year old, you can say in a calm moment, not a moment that's a meltdown. Right. right. In a separate moment. Hey, I notice when you get really upset, what's, I want to figure out how can I help you the best? What do you think would be the best way for me to support, help you yeah. to, to just, you know, feel safe. Right. Um, do you want me to, to give you a little bit of space? Do you want me to just let you know I'm here? Do you want me to offer a hug? You know, what's going to help you? Some kids want the squeezes. They want the touch for some kids. Just a voice is better and they don't right. want you to touch them. Um, you know, even the same with like, giving a child feedback, positive feedback, right? We yeah. want to notice when someone's doing something really well, because then they're likely to do that again. Um, some kids don't want you to say it and they get mad when you say that out loud. Right. Right. And, um, and so you just have to figure out like for some kids, you know, you just need to like catch them out of the side of your eye and like do like a very subtle thumbs up, you know, <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> okay, got it, mom. I right. see that you see me and thank you. Now I feel better and good. Um, <laughs> so uh you know so it depends really on the child so it's so really like the, the key things are just like knowing who's in front of you in like as deep a way as possible right understanding right. kind of your child is, is so important yeah but that's good news like good news well good advice i guess is what i mean for um taking that kid aside later and being like how can i help you and just literally asking their mm-hmm. kid because i think sometimes with parents, obviously, like you said, like a three-year-old won't necessarily be able to articulate it as much, but with your older kiddos, like they have their own voice. They can say how things make them feel. Um, and so I think sometimes parents like either are in parent mode and they forget that, um, or they just, I don't know, I don't know what they do, but it's helpful to know that. Yeah. It's also so empowering to a child. It's so right. important. I mean, that is a way to validate and it's like such an important way and to start to teach the metacognition, right? And so you're, right. you're layering in that idea of understanding your brain, right? And it's like, it's a real teaching that happens when that, you know, when you can do that with them and they can, um, you know, they can just learn a lot more about, you know, it helps them realize like, oh yeah, Hey, this is what I need here. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just that idea of, you know, you want them to think, hey, we're all on this team. We all want you to do well, right? right. We're all here to help you and to help you feel safe. Right. Um, and so what can I do to help you feel safe when things are feeling unsafe for you? Yeah. And the other thing, too, that we also coach parents a lot to do is to to use your, your brain language a lot and start that mm-hmm. kind of on the early side. Um, because then it feels like, you know, like you're not, you know, really angry, right? Your brain is angry right now. Hmm. It does not feel different. Like it yeah. just feels like, oh, I'm not an angry, jerky person. Like my right. brain's just having a hard time right now. Right. Um, you know, and I'll say stuff to my son like, your brain really tries to trick you sometimes into thinking yeah. like you need to be on your screen more. You know, like right. you know, you know, you don't really need you. Your brain is tricking you. You know, right. it's stuff like that. And so there's like little things like that. That your brain language is a way to kind of not be as judgmental, you know, feel as so a child doesn't feel that, that judgment. Yeah. um, Quite as much. That's a great tool. I definitely Mm -hmm. like, we'll keep that in, in my brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were talking a lot about like the parent coaching, obviously, which is what we're here for today. But I am curious about if a child should receive their own support at the same time that like a parent is getting coached. For example, with us, we do a lot with speech and like 
if a parent needed a, like handholding, like their kid is receiving services generally, that's how it's going. But like if a parent mm-hmm. needed something, they could get it at the same time. So do you recommend that for kids who are having like quote unquote behavioral like struggles? I mean, I think um I think whatever a therapist does to support a child should be clearly communicated to the parent. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, and you know, whatever whenever a parent can take that, you know, and, and because the therapist only sees a child for, you know, an hour a week or something right. like that. Right. Or, or, you know, something like that. And so, um, the parent is, is, you know, and, and many parents will like need coaching to implement some of those right. things, I would say, um, you know, I, speech therapists other than Gabrielle, you know, <laughs> she's a yeah. speech therapist and a parent coach. And, and actually, you know, some of the stuff that she's doing is really innovative in that she's like, doing this thing where she's kind of like a, like a bug in your ear kind of thing where she calls it screenless coaching, where she's, you know, like she can hear what's happening mm. with the child when a parent's interacting with a child and she's kind of whispering into the, the parent who's got either earbuds in or something like that. Wow. Saying, you know, Oh, Hey, you should, you know, you can ask them this, or you can sit down and notice this and, you know, right. that kind of thing. And so, um, so that's kind of one variation on that. Um, but I do think that, you know, almost all of the parents that we, that we support, their kids are in therapy in one, you know, some variation of therapy, right. um, at, whether in school or out of school or both. Right. Um, and we're trying to ensure that what they're doing, you know, isn't a like unraveling some of the things that their <laughs> child is being taught, you know, like, right. especially with the behavior stuff, um, you know, and also that it's complimentary, right. That we're, you know, right. giving them the ideas that like, whatever, um, I mean, depending on what, what it is, like, I'm not a big fan of ABA, but like, right. unless it's done right, you know, I mean, I, it's, it's evolving, which is good, but you know, yeah. I think, I think it depends on what, you know, what the goals of the, the therapy is. And, um, right. but I do think, uh, you know, but what I was going to say about Gabrielle is that, you know, she's unusual. Like most speech therapists are not parent coaches. Right. Right. And so um, it's a different ball wax, really. Yeah. You know, like the treating kids is different than helping adults. Right. Um, so, um, you know, unlikely to get that support from the same, the right, same therapist the same or the same practitioner or even in the same, maybe some places offer it in the same place, but, oh, you know, yeah. not always. Yeah. But it's good to hear, like, I, I know with our speech team, um, they also work with, like, schools whenever they can. Because sometimes the kids are seeing, like, a school SLP or something. Like, they have a they have a coordinator at the school or someone that is, like, will work with them. And they'll always, like, meet up with that person and say, this is what we're working on. And so they align their goals, like you were saying. Um, so it's nice to, like, hear you can get coaching on both ends and that generally those two people will talk to each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. It's always good. Like whenever you can, you know, have alignment and, right. um, and, you know, sort of support whatever is happening in, you know, in other areas, it's always, you know, always helpful. Yeah. And to stay consistent because it's really confusing. Oh yeah. Especially for orchid kids when, you know, one message happens here and another message happens there, you know, that, that is, hard for them to, to square off and, and really understand. Right. Yeah. Um, so my, just my last question for you, but what benefits have you seen that parents, um, start to see after they get coaching? It is like a remarkable, I mean, Gabrielle and I are always like, you know, like, you know, just amazed at what we have seen. And for some parents, um, I mean, I, I'm not kidding you that I think we've saved some marriages. Oh my gosh. Um, because there's so much tension yeah. that can happen when you're raising. I mean, there's tension when you're raising a, a child, right? There's right. always like parenting, you know, just because you love someone and marry them doesn't mean that you like have the same like images of like how to parent, right? And so right. so there's that, right? There's this challenge of of how do I, you know, align um, you know, how I'm parenting. Um, or, or what are my, my values as a parent? Um, and so, you know, getting on the same page with that is really important. And then, you know, there, there tends to be, there's often in couples, um, sometimes there's one parent that's more resistant to like Mm. acknowledging neurodivergence in a child and, you know, 
Um, and that is really hard to navigate. So we always love it when we have both parents come and that happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, we've actually had one time we had one parent come to like one cohort and the next, like the, the dad came to the next session. Right. <laughs> they like they didn't want to be together. Um, <laughs> um, but it worked out. It was great. And, um, it actually, it was a good, uh, it, it worked out well, but, but that always is better. Like when, when right. parents can, can both be there. So I think that's a huge benefit that we've seen in this one, in our last cohort, there was uh, a couple who came, you know, both of them came to, to all the sessions and, um, and they've now, you know, sort of devised a thing like a protocols for like, Oh, you know, we've really realized like, Oh, I'm getting tapped out right now. Like I need mm. to tag my partner in, right. you know? And and, and, you know, just being able to, to acknowledge that like, oh, we each need that from the other person. Right. Right. And to just make those things explicit. Right. Is, is really important. So, um, so I think, you know, one, we can save marriages. <laughs> it's sort of miraculous. <laughs> your gurus. Um, Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, two, you know, it, it changes dramatically. It can a, a parent's relationship with their child and yeah. just kind of experience raising that child right because once you can just kind of let go a little bit of either that you know i'm expecting my child to act in this way that they are unable to act in right Mm -hmm. and and my my expectations and who's in front of me is is not aligned and once i can align those better um I can let go of those a little bit and just feel a little bit calmer in general right and so now i'm calmer and now i'm I'm calmer with my kids and then right. everything's better. Right. Um, and the meltdowns tend to be shorter. Right. And like things tend to go, go better. Um, you know, the other thing that we, you know, we also really work hard um, to help parents see the wins as I was talking about before. And yeah. so I think that's also another thing parents have really shared with us that, that, you know, shifting to the, you know, really focusing on the wins more, um, is really helpful. And, and, you know, and the other thing that we also say to parents is like, you know, look, you're not going to get this hundred percent of the time. Like nobody's getting it hundred percent of right. the time. I was like, aim, aim, real is joke. Aim for 30%. Like we're like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not even B minus, but I'm like, I'm always like B minus. You're good. You know, it's, right. plus. it's fine. You know, <laughs> like, um, it's okay. Like we have to give ourselves grace too. You know, that's the other really important thing, um, for parents to remember. So I think, you know, parents, see all kinds of shifts. Like once they can shift their own way of supporting their child, you know, they've seen their kids also start to find better, you know, ways of being in the world and more, more, um, you know, sort of really spaces where they can thrive. Right. Um, and so that is, you know, some feedback that we've gotten and it's really made, you know, quite a significant difference for for kids and you know everything's ever evolving right as your kids grow things grow and change um but shifting the mindset shifting that perspective a little bit makes a really huge difference um for so many parents and we've really like heard that and the other piece i think that is um another really important piece is finding community among other parents of you know of um you know of parents raising neurodivergent kids is is Again, it's very lonely. And so finding that community is incredibly powerful. That's the feedback that we always get, you know, how comforting it is. Like you see, we see everyone, everyone's shoulders drop by the end of yeah. our first session, you know, that they're holding all this tension and then, oh, there's others here who can get, you get it. You know, that idea of finding your tribe of parents, you know, is, um, is really helpful and really comforting. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so, so, so much for being here. This has been absolutely fabulous. And like, that was my last question for you, but is there anything you want to add? I don't think so. I think, you know, we all just, if we can all move through the world being compassionate, yeah, right? For our kids, for ourselves, for those around us, um, you know, the, the world, give everyone a little bit of grace, yeah. um, including our little people. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like it, it can make a big difference. They're totally learning. Yeah. And I think if we can also be always open to learning and always open to, you know, sort of seeing new ways of making things go better and being in that kind of mode of of problem solving, right. That I think it, it, it helps us not feel overwhelmed. Absolutely. Or less overwhelmed maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, thank you again, Jen. It's been fabulous. And I think this is going to be very helpful to parents because 
again, like you said, just starting off by seeing like kids do good when they can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that perfect like, mindset shift. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you so much to the audience for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a little rating and review. It helps other folks find the podcast and we'll chat with you next time.